And welcome to another episode of the SD4L show. I'm Justin Thind and uh, doing a solo pod here today. Uh, Matt Sheehan, busy with kid number two. Um, unfortunately, the baby's record as a fan is 0-1. So not a great start to the young man's life, but what can you do? Uh, but yeah, just here to talk about some uh, topics that are kind of on the forefront of everyone's minds. Uh, the first of those two kind of being the upcoming attrition that Michigan State could face. Uh, did a sort of a quick little um, thoughts journal type of a piece for 24-7 sports here a couple of days ago. Wanted to kind of expand upon that. And then also have um, some thoughts on some of the candidates that have been brought up, not going to just do a deep dive on who MSU should hire, like kind of two episodes ago that we already did, but maybe some of the hot button names, um, some that I don't think will be considered, um, somebody like an Urban Meyer, for example. So going to touch on that a little bit afterwards as well. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and check out the episode we did last time uh, with Max Klitsky. Over there, we went over kind of the young guys and their usage and the Iowa game coming up and uh, what we'd like to see from kind of who's playing and why and the dynamics at play. But yeah, in terms of kind of just getting into this possible attrition, uh, actually, before I do that, I do want to say everyone's done a great job with commenting, uh, with liking the videos. Um, views are good, uh, higher than they were at when we were back at Woodward. So do appreciate kind of how everyone's helped out with us going independent, uh, the scheduling flexibility that we get this way, um, even though there's been some technical difficulties here and there here, but very glad that we went this route. But the one thing I will say is if we have between two to 3,000 people watching each episode on YouTube, but we only have 500 subscribers, the math is not adding up there. So please actually go ahead and hit subscribe. Um, you're not going to catch every tweet anytime there's an announcement that there's a new episode. So do that. Make sure you don't miss an episode and obviously helps the algorithm as well. But yeah, so diving into what I wanted to say with the attrition, there's a few different ways to look at it. All of the ways involve accepting that there will be people leaving, whether that's recruiting, whether that's people on the roster. So that is going to happen. That is just a, That's just something that has to be accepted. Now, I view the portal departures or exodus differently than I view possible recruiting departures. Let's start with the, the negative side of that. The high school recruiting, I do not see a way where most of the class is with the program, or I guess publicly committed to the program by December, let's say. That's just how it is. Um, even if some of those kids end up recommitting when the new coach gets here, for most of them, they probably will decommit in the meantime. Um, probably a lot of them won't even recommit. But I think everyone's going to kind of explore their options here and see where they can end up or who's going to reach back out to them, take stock of where the recruitment sit, and then make a final decision in December. But I think most of the kids are going to be at least detaching from the class, at least for the time being, if not for good. So just that's something you have to accept. That should not be a surprise to you. I guess I shouldn't tell people they shouldn't freak out each time a kid decommits because everyone kind of handles these things differently. But like personally, I think if seven kids decommitted um, in the middle of this episode, to me, it's just inevitable. So 
I think anytime a, a coach leaves, though, that's what happens. The only difference is that maybe if a coach gets fired December 1st, you might see eight kids decommit in the next two weeks after that before signing day, and it hits like a pile of bricks. Whereas at Michigan State, it might be, I don't know, one kid commits decommits a week or two kids decommit a week. So it'll be a slower trickle, but it's the same thing that you see pretty much anytime there's a coaching change. Um, so nothing new there. Now, while I didn't pretty much have anything positive to say with high school recruiting, there are some positive ways to look at the transfer thing. And I will, I will say why. First off, the kids that are going to be entering the portal, whether they choose to enter now or December is where I think some of the positivity lies. Now, again, this is all speculation. This is not me reporting anything or intel I'm getting that, hey, tons of kids might enter in December, but not right now. This, this is not me reporting. This is just me thinking loud at the dynamics of play and how they might unfold. The way I see it is that a lot of the kids that would be eligible to enter the portal right now and get a red shirt out of it, that is a group of kids where, first of all, they will never have had to have redshirted previously in their career. For example, Let's look at a Caleb Coley, just a random name that comes to mind. He redshirted last year. So if he were to enter the portal before having played in four games this year, like say take advantage of this 30-day rule, to him it, there would not be any benefit in doing so because he cannot apply a redshirt to this season of his career. So last year was his redshirt year. This year would be a wasted year if he left in the middle. And um, it, to him, there's no benefit leaving now versus in December. The positive side of him staying until December is when he, I think he's a little banged up. So if he were to play, I don't know, like from week seven and on, he gets to be in the playing group. He picks up good film. If he wants to leave in December, he'll have that film. Most of the kids on MSU's team, to, to be blunt, they need the film. So if they're in the playing group, it, it, it behooves them to stay, get film. And then if they want to leave in December, leave in December. So that's one thing that people need to keep in mind. Only those that have not already used their red shirts in their college careers would be the ones really benefiting from entering the portal, let's say today or tomorrow, before the Iowa game, before the fifth game of their season is played, assuming they played in the first four. So that that right there is one reason why I don't think as many people will transfer in the middle of the season as people are thinking. Factor number two. With that said, about kids possibly sticking around until December, if they possibly want to transfer anyway, which if they do, th that makes sense. This is not the head coach that they committed to any longer. Um, some of them may be far away from home. That's fine. If someone wants to transfer in December, all the power to them. However, what that will do is it will allow the new coach, assuming one is hired immediately after week 12, to come in and have a chance to re-recruit those kids, whether it's just before they enter the portal or whether it's while they're in the portal, other schools are recruiting them, this new coach is also recruiting them. So at that point, some of these kids that are saying, hey, I'll stick it out till December. Let me try to get some tape. I won't be able to get a red shirt out of the season anyway. Those kids, if they stick around until December, may not ever end up transferring, even if that's what they want to do now. So that is one blueprint where I see um, Michigan State possibly avoiding a mass exodus. If we're even kids that want to transfer, it makes more sense for them to, to stay until December. And as a result, possibly sticking around uh, when everything is said and done. So the other side of the coin is, okay, what about a guy like a Jacoby Winman or a Chris Bogle or somebody that 
they have used their red shirt, but they have one season left. Possibly could they want to enter um, because this season, even though it's wasted because they can't apply a red shirt, maybe their sixth year, their COVID year next year, they just want to be somewhere else because Mel's not here. I don't want to speak out of turn or give away any, I guess, details that I'm not supposed to have to begin with. And a lot of times I don't actually have any numbers or anything, but I will just say those kids have had some fairly decent, fairly decent resources allocated towards them. And that's where NIL comes in that fans may not realize when, when fans think about NIL and maybe they hear a coach make comments about how there needs to be more NIL support. People immediately say, okay, well, they didn't land Samson Okanlola. They didn't land David Hicks. They didn't land David Stone. So there just probably isn't any NIL support at Michigan State or it's over-exaggerated. However, that is not where a good amount of NIL goes. A good amount of it goes to player retention. Michigan State has only lost one bona fide starter to the portal in the entire time the portal's been around, and that's Keon Coleman. I guess Peyton Thorne, um, he was a starter the last two years, but I don't know if he necessarily was going to be running away with the job this year. Again, again, he, d- he was not promised a job, which was one of the biggest reasons he left. So he, by that very definition, is not a bona fide starter. But point being, with Keon, Michigan State had a higher sum allocated towards him than Florida State. So he did not leave because of NIL. But let's just say you want to still hold that against MSU. That's one guy that left during the bona fide starter that left during the season. That's fine. You're the numbers at one or during, during the time the portal has been around, not during the season. Even with that said, there is a reason why schools that have made multiple overtures at guys like Simeon Barrow, Zion Young, even some guys on the offensive side of the ball that you'd be surprised to hear about. There's a reason those guys have all stayed here. In addition to probably liking a school, I shouldn't act like they're only here because of money. But those guys have been here despite multiple attempts at tampering. And that's because of the resources allocated to them for for the most part, or at least for some of the part. That will come into play here. That will be something that is possibly an anchoring effect that may keep them here. Even if they are incentivized to enter the portal and you know they're going to have lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. So that's kind of the two buckets I put the people in. There's players that they could easily transfer right now. They would take a redshirt for the first time in their careers. Um, maybe like a Malik Spencer or maybe a Zion Young or a Dylan Tatum. Like those kids that can transfer. Um, that is your worry. That is the people that I guess you'll have to see. Will they transfer? Then you have the people that are incentivized to stay throughout the season because they've already used their red shirts, like a Caleb Coley that I mentioned. And then you have the players that are bona fide starters. They could leave. They could just sit out the rest of the year, redshirt or not. It doesn't matter. At least they have the tape, whereas a Caleb Coley might not. But those guys are being taken well care of. So I guess three different buckets you have there. Of those three buckets, there's one bucket of kids that I think could possibly transfer in the middle of the season where it would make sense to. Of the kids in that bucket, like a Malik Spencer, like a Dylan Tatum, like a Zion Young, that handful of kids that have never used a previous uh, red shirt and they possibly do have the tape or at least the promising buzzer potential. Those guys, I have not heard anything about anyone transferring again. I haven't really necessarily dug around and asked everybody I know and saying who's transferring, who's transferring, 
part of it is because the kids may not even know. And part of it is because it's fluid situations and a lot of these kids are not talking to anybody except their families. But I wanted to make clear that out of the roster, if you break it down into those categories, the group of kids that it would make sense to transfer in the middle of the season is small. And that is kind of where I look at it and say, hey, the mass exodus that people are fearing may not necessarily be the case. And if it were to be the case, I think it would be deferred until December for most of these kids. Because as I said earlier, a lot of them need the tape. A lot of them cannot just hit the portal today and play at the same level of football that they're playing at today. Unless if they're okay with transferring maybe down to the group of five, that's okay. That more power to them. But most of them need to stick it out. They need the tape. And moreover, if we as like people that are in the MSU ecosystem are hearing like, hey, Malik Spencer had a great season, a great offseason. He's primed to take over the MSU defensive backfield over the next two or three years. But in the four games of tape, he hasn't been anything spectacular. The outside world, like let's say somebody at Ole Miss, they're not going to know or at least put much stock in the fact that in the offseason, this kid showing potential over the the next three or four years, he's really going to take off. They're just going to see the four games of tape. So if somebody like that tries to enter the portal, it may not go the way they're expecting. But now if he stays, he plays the whole year. Week 11, he's dominating. Week 9, he's dominating. And December, he hits the portal. It could go differently, which at that point would give the new coach that, that possible chance to retain somebody like that. So again, just kind of wrapping that topic up, those are the various dynamics at play with kind of who would want to transfer, when they may want to transfer, and why I don't think the transfer side of things is necessarily going to be as bad as people think, at least in the short term. December, who knows? Depends on who the new coach is. If it's someone like a a Charles Huff that immediately gets people to buy in, who's just an ace recruiter, maybe there's less people leaving than than if somebody that um, maybe doesn't have that immediate buy-in effect. So all things to consider, all of the dynamics at play with the portal. Plus, I don't want to say this in a way that disparages like the roster as a whole or to kind of speak out of turn in, in that regard. But if you were to make a list of how many people that it would actually hurt significantly if they transferred, basically a list of who is above replacement level. So replacement level is still good. A replacement level guy is somebody that can start, someone that's solid. But if they were to leave, you think you can get another person at that level. Um, but I'm talking about above replacement level, where if this person left, you probably could not easily replace them via the portal. How many people fit in that bucket on this roster? Just go ahead and do that exercise to do that yourself. And I'm curious, what number do you guys come up with? Because when I did this, that number was lower for me than I thought it would right before I started naming those guys. Um, some of them haven't actually proven a ton yet, but I still have them on the list, like a Malik Spencer, like a Zion Young. Some of them that have really proven themselves are out of eligibility after this year. So like those are the different kind of dynamics that play with making such a list. But the number was smaller than I thought. So I guess I will leave you with that thought of what really would be the worst case scenario if there is a mass exodus and how hard it would it be to recover from such a roster turnover. Um, But another thought that I had when looking at the roster as a whole, I don't want to go too deep down this wormhole. I don't think it's kind of conducive to have discussions giving credit or I guess trying to fight against the opinion right now of Mel Tucker. I don't think there's any reason to kind of be defending him like at least passionately right now. But one thing I will say is I don't really see where the dialogue is coming from with the fact that 
it was all bad in terms of a roster standpoint. Because while I did just say the roster doesn't have tons of above replacement level people, there's still a good amount of talent here that he just brought in that is not playing yet or is only playing a little bit. A Jordan Hall, a By Jove, a Stanton Ramble who's out for the year, um, a Chance Rucker, for example. So like the program might be in a bad place from an instability wise, but I don't get people on Twitter and on the timeline acting like he did not bring in any talent and that now MSU is at an even worse spot than when he took over when, when D'Antonio left. So I guess that's not, that's not either here or there, but that was one of the thoughts I had on the roster is, and not to speak out of both sides of the mouth, because I just told you the number of above replacement level players is not that big. So I don't want to act like this roster is ready to compete for the big 10 next year, but I also am not seeing the dynamic of he did nothing good. He was not able to recruit. He was a fraud in that regard. We can't have another coach hired. That is a recruiter first, because look at how bad Mal failed at that. I think the biggest issue with, with the way Mel recruited was that after he got those eight, nine stud players, it's why were there no backups that were going to be filling in a possible Dalen Oster, Caleb Presley miss? Why were there not adequate depth pieces that brought you to a 23 or a 25 man class? That's where Mel failed as a recruiter and not being able to see the big picture. That is where the criticisms of Mel should be. In terms of landing the promised amount of next-level talent that Michigan State may not have had, I don't know how many coaches are walking into Michigan State recruiting a by Job, Stanton Rammel. Um, these kind of guys, a Jordan Hall, getting him to cancel his Notre Dame and Michigan official visits and commit on the spot. Like These are wins, the, the Scooter carries of the world. Like These are wins that are impressive, regardless of how we all feel about the tenure as a whole. So again, kind of off topic here, but I, I'm just not seeing it to be a total failure. I think parts of it were fraudulent. Parts of what we all believed were definitely not promised in terms of a relentless recruit every single day, because it seemed like it was more of a recruit for the first seven months out of the year than hope to flip guys the last five months of the year. So there are fraudulency aspects involved, but it was not a, oh, he lied about being a big time recruiter. We can't hire another recruiter first coach like Mel. To that point though, also, Mel as a recruiter throughout his career, and I think we all kind of missed this or we didn't harp on it enough. He was a lifelong defensive coordinator that was a secondary recruiter for most kids. Someone like a Charles Huff being compared to Mel is a very lazy comparison because Charles Huff was in the trenches as the primary recruiter. As a running backs coach, he was the primary recruiter recruiting for a sanctions-laden Penn State team that was rebuilding and going ahead in there and getting into position battles with other teams' ace recruiters, going down to Miami-Dade County himself, landing a defensive end while being a running backs coach over SEC schools and bringing them to a Penn State team that was rebuilding. Mel was not doing any of that. Mel was helping chip in as a secondary recruiter. So these are not the same guys, even as when you're talking about recruiting first coaches. So again, just a little tangent, didn't mean to go this long about Mel. didn't mean to dive into the coaching candidates from that perspective, like of who's good. But I, I, I don't get the Mel comparisons and saying, oh, we should never hire a recruiter first coach. Like, I don't get that quote. I don't get that sentiment. Mel was not who we thought he was as a primary recruiter throughout his resume. And I guess you can blame me. You can blame people that kind of were assessing Mel's recruiting record for that. 
and say, hey, you guys didn't catch that he was always a helping hand as a DC. He was not a primary position coach in years. That's fine. That's fair. I'll take that on the chin. But that does not mean don't hire another recruiter first coach. And that does not mean any recruiter first coach is Mel in terms of what he did because Charles Huff is not Mel. And um, if there's somebody that you would want to say is Mel in this recruiting cycle, could be somebody like a Matt House more so where hasn't been a position coach recruiter since um, I want to say like 2015 or so with Kentucky um, has been a lifelong DC for the most part, other than being linebackers coach for the, for the Kansas city chiefs has that NFL pedigree on his resume right now, a DC at a big time program at LSU. That's more of a Mel Tucker kind of a comparison to me than a Charles Huff. So just kind of one of the preconceived notions that I'm seeing about candidates and tying him, tying them to Mel. And then just a thought that I had on the roster. So that brief tangent aside. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This kind of segues into what I wanted to say about some of the candidates involved here in the dialogue. Urban Meyer, that's a name that keeps coming up. Urban has not, Urban does not have the cleanest record. Now, I do not want to sit here and dive deep into each individual indiscretion. For one, I haven't researched each individual case. 
maybe I should, maybe that's my job. I guess you could sit here and say, Hey, this is one of the top three coaches of all time. And you haven't looked into every single crime he's committed as, as somebody that's putting together the hot boards, I guess maybe that's fair criticism, but I'm just not going to, to dive deep into it because I don't believe he'll be getting a call regardless of my legal breakdown of each individual thing and my assessment of how bad they truly were. Because the fact that any of these indiscretions occurred, um, well, I shouldn't say any of them, but the fact that a combination of them occurred, it's it's just too messy for Michigan State's Board of Trustees or President, whoever that would be at the time, or even Athletic Department to sit there and say, hey, we just fired Mel Tucker for a breach of morality in his contract. Now let's go ahead and hire someone that has had indiscretions. So I, I, I just don't see that happening regardless of how you want to spin each individual one and how you want to assess the degree of, I guess, negligence or gross misconduct in each of those discretions. So I, I just can't see it. Like, let's say even one pillar of the coaching search committee wants Urban Meyer, right? Just theoretically speaking, have not heard anything along these lines, but let's say Alan Haller were to want Urban Meyer, right? And, um, and he were to kind of explore it a little bit. It's still going to be a non-starter with the board to get him approved. It's still going to be a non-starter with the president and, and the rest of the people. Maybe even a Tom Izzo would push against it. I don't know. So it's just, you're never going to get full buy-in there. So it's, it's a non-starter from that regard. The second part of the Urban Meyer discussion, will he win at Michigan State? This, I cannot speak in as much certainty. Um, I think he probably would because I don't think Urban Meyer knows how to lose at the college level, even though I don't think he's the leader of men people claim him to be. And I don't think he adapts as well as people say. And we saw that in the NFL, but still can't, can't act like he's not a winner again, probably a top three coach in, in college football history. One thing that people do have to remember is he has not had to recruit since the Zach Smith incident became public um, with how he was, I guess, again, I didn't dive into the details here, but how he was essentially not just covering for the crimes that that Smith was committing against his wife, but also counseling her to stay with him. I don't think we've seen the effects of how that could play with the mothers of recruits ever since he has been asked to recruit. Also, just the ne- the headlines and stuff in general. We haven't seen how if the shine has worn off with with people and how that may affect recruiting. But let's just go ahead and assume and say, hey, wouldn't take a big hit. Let's let's say the shine hasn't worn off. He's still not going to be recruiting top five classes to Eastland. So you might be looking at top 12, maybe top 18, maybe top 10. But you're not. he's not bringing the sixth best class in the nation to Michigan State, at least not in year one. So then you're looking at it from a perspective of, okay, it's still probably not a one-year immediate, comes in, wins 10 games, probably a year two thing, maybe a year three thing. Then you're starting to think about his his track record of how long he stays at these schools. You're starting to look at, okay, if he's only going to be here for six years before he, he burns out again and leaves due to health issues, what does that mean for the ROI of bringing him in for an absurd amount of money if it's going to be year three before even he can win at Michigan State? So those are the dynamics at play there. He's making like $7 million at Fox right now. So you're probably going to be having to pay him at least $10 million just because of the fact that it's not worth his time to be a hot college head coach, work way more hours than he's working at Fox for the same amount of money. Then you're looking at, okay, it's at least a two-year process, maybe three years, um, depending on maybe if he's a portal wizard, I guess maybe it could be a, a one-year thing. But other than that, you're looking at a guy that's going to take at least two years to get things off the ground here. And then by year five, might already have his foot out the door. 
Now, with all of that said, I think he'd be probably from a winning perspective better than any other coach I can think of. But then it goes back to the moral character side of things and the fact that nobody would improve him. So I don't know, maybe it wasn't even worth spending these minutes talking about Urban Meyer. But I, it's just, I've seen the name so many times. So I wanted to weigh in and kind of talk about the implausibility of him getting that call, of him getting approved, and maybe even saying it's it's not an auto 10-win season the day he walks in the door. I think uh, I could easily picture a scenario where it's an eight-win season in year one, 10-win season in year two, but without really having a shot to compete for the Big Ten title still with, with the new schools coming in. And then uh, maybe playoff in year three, and then after that, him being two years away from leaving anyway. So is is that worth the ROI? Is that worth kind of taking it on the chin from a PR perspective? Now, the one thing that I will agree with um, in terms of this debate is people kind of saying MSU is never going to get the benefit of the doubt from a public perception, public relations standpoint. So at this point, why even care? I get that. But I think there's a big difference between people unfairly criticizing Tom Izzo, unfairly criticizing Mark D'Antonio, and then going ahead and hiring someone that has tangible, tangible indiscretions and just completely flipping the script and saying, let's give up on kind of having a moral compass. So I don't, I don't think I necessarily agree to that extent, but I can see people finally saying, all right, we're fed up with public approval. Let's just try to win some games. And that's where I kind of go back and saying, how many games will he win in year one? And how many years will he be here? And how bad are these indiscretions? And at least the Zach Smith one, I think that one is that one is pretty bad. The Florida ones, that's where I haven't really looked into it. Um, just you hear stuff about, oh, he was covering up crimes. He was covering up for all these people that later went on to have legal issues, Aaron Hernandez of the world. But I'm not going to sit here and litigate that and act like I know everything that he knew. But I don't know couple of those things are pretty bad and i just don't see michigan state going ahead and downgrading from a um pr cultural like moral compass side of things than even just mel tucker who they fired for a moral kind of debacle so those are my thoughts on Meyer. uh let's see pat narduzzi i think he has been trying very hard to get involved in the search i don't think michigan state will have more interest in him now than they did four years ago Quick note on Pat. I think he has won. I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. I think he has won 62 games at Pitt in um, eight years, eight full years. So not counting this year. In the eight years before Pat got there, Purdue, or sorry, Pitt won 57 games. So he's five games above the previous eight-year span at Pitt. So just wouldn't see the appeal there. NIL, he's he's very much against um, the portal. Um, I don't think he's spoken spoken against the portal directly, but he has spoken against Deion Sanders' usage of the portal. So he would kind of be a no-go. Have heard that PJ Flex representatives have reached out to Michigan State, just like they did in 2020. For those that haven't seen my reporting on that or my hot board on 24-7 Sports, that is the second time that that has happened. They reached out in 2020. Um, it, I don't think it ever got publicly reported back then because the discussions were over so quickly because of the buyout that PJ had. And that's kind of, it ended after just a very short, maybe even a couple of days, but he was very interested back then. MSU might've been interested too, but I think it was just a buyout, but that, that side of things I cannot directly speak on. And um, he has, I think his people have reached out again. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I know kind of how people feel about that. Do not, do not disagree with kind of the, the word that's out there. So 
just just passing that along i don't know if it'll lead to anything probably won't but i have heard that to be the case candidates are reaching out to michigan state first candidates are trying to feel out michigan state just like michigan state is feeling them out so it is it is going to be a period of michigan state kind of putting together who is really interested and they have to discern who's possibly just using them for a salary bump uh, one of the names that i've heard that has reached out that um, definitely I'm not at the liberty to speak on, but I, I think that coach is someone that's not been mentioned before, but I also believe that coach is probably someone that is exclusively reaching out just to generate a uh, an extension for himself at his current school. So those are kind of things that Michigan State has to weed through, and they'll have about eight to nine, ten, eight, eight weeks, nine weeks or so to, to do that. And I hope uh, for the sake of not just my coverage, but for the fans and the school's possible success, you got to have it wrapped up by week 12. Not going to hire a coach before their final game of the season, not if they're any good, but you kind of want it to be a Lincoln Riley sort of situation where the second that the final game ends, that coach is out of there. And um, so, yeah, looking at about eight weeks, but that pretty much wraps up my thoughts. Um, probably wasn't as structured as I wanted, probably a lot of rambling, but just wanted to get all my thoughts out there on these various matters. Just wanted to kind of think aloud with you guys. Apologize if it was all over the place, but um, yeah, just 32 minutes of me talking to myself. So probably, probably went better than I thought. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Appreciate everyone that supports, everyone that comments, everyone that likes. Um, definitely go ahead and comment. I always try to read pretty much all of them. So whatever thoughts you have on any of these, go ahead and share those. And like I said, please subscribe. Um, please give a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes. That helps us with the algorithm as well. But yeah, feel free to share your thoughts and appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode of the SD4L show. Thank you.